0: Well, hello, Grumlaw Church. My name is Joel Trainer, and it is an honor to get to speak with you today. Uh, there is nobody on the face of the earth that has followed Grumlaw from afar like I have. And I know that you don't know me, but I just want you to know that, that I know a lot about you, and I've been following you and praying for you for years, and it is an honor to get to be here today. Uh, your pastor, uh, Shea Prisk, is a longtime friend of mine, and uh, this, this is just a cool, it's a cool moment for me to get to be here with you today. I've been to one in-person service at Grumlaw Church, and that was launch Sunday on January 14, 2018. I jumped in a car with some of my friends in Columbus, Ohio. We trekked up through the Michigan winter wonderland, somehow arrived safely, despite Michigan drivers, you know who you are. And we got there and we, we sang and we celebrated what God was doing at the time. And as I've, I've watched you now for years, I've just continued to celebrate all that God is doing in and through your church. I love you, even though I don't know you personally. I just, I love you and I've been cheering for you. And being there, frankly, at that launch Sunday was a surreal moment for me because Shay was a pastor and five weeks after that, my wife and I started a church in Columbus, Ohio called Three Creeks Church, and I was a pastor. And Shay and I had made a deal in college, neither of us were going to let the other guy be a pastor. Like, we're allowed to be in ministry, but you can't be a pastor. And it, it wasn't that we didn't love Jesus. Like, we loved Jesus. But we had been, enough, we'd been around enough pastors and church people that we thought, I don't know if I want to do that, and and neither of us like pleated khakis that much, and so we just we just felt safe saying like let's just leave pastor off the table, <laughs> and over a ten year period, God changed our hearts, and it was like wait a minute, Shay's a pastor and I'm a pastor, like we've broken our word, and uh, and, and 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 the whole thing has just been the best. It's been so fun to do what I get to do and. And I know Shea feels the same way. Uh, Since that Sunday, I've been following you like a rat on a Cheeto. (laughs) I have been praying for you, and I I just love all that God's doing. When I was in college, 12, 13 years ago, I actually came often to Venture Church. On Christmas break or summer break, I would come, and when you guys met back in that high school, I would come, and I I always appreciated the calm and somber demeanor that Terry Prisk would preach his sermons with. Uh, for those of you that know Terry Brisk, uh, you know I'm kidding. Uh, I was inspired every time I came, and I've always loved coming up there. Uh, as God was in the process of changing my heart to warm me up to the idea of becoming a pastor, there's one conversation that I can remember through the whole process that, that really tipped the scales. And uh, I was sitting in a parking lot of a golf course and I wanted to know what God wanted me to do. I, I really sincerely wanted to follow God, but I didn't know what to do. And so I felt like I should call people that love God and are going to be honest with me. So I called Shay Prisk, your pastor, and I just explained to him, he was going through a lot of the same stuff at the time. And I explained to him, Shea, I just, I just don't know what to do. And I remember Shea just saying, Joel, go for it. What do we have to lose? We're doing this for the glory of God. And and Shay has been a great friend to me for over a decade, but maybe that's the moment that he was the best friend he's ever been. He was so honest with me. And uh, that night, I accepted a residency at another church in Columbus and started this journey to plant a church. I'm I'm telling you all this because I want you to know how much of an influence and impact that Shay and Terry Prisk have had on my life and as I've prayed about giving this message to you today, I'm just praying that maybe 1% of the impact that they've had on me that maybe I could have today, that through God and his word, that if, if, if this could influence you just a little bit, man, we're in for a great day today. When Shay called me and told me what he would like me to speak about, I honestly thought he was kidding at first. I, I said, no, 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 seriously, like, what do you want me to talk about? because it wouldn't be the first time that Shay has tried to pull one over on me. He's been doing it for 15 years. Uh, I can remember a time right after Shay got married to Andrea. He's happily married, and I was single, and I was hunting. I wanted to be married so bad, and Shay, uh, to play a prank on me, created a dating profile online for me on Craigslist. Now, listen, i I know some people who have met online, and they're happy and healthy. They have children. I don't think they met on Craigslist. If you're looking to be happily married, you don't create an online dating profile on Craigslist. But Shay, without me knowing it, created one for me. And all of a sudden, I start getting all these text messages. I cannot reveal in church what these text messages said. I was just like, what is going on here? Why are these people texting me? And then, of course, it didn't take me that long to figure out. Shay, once again, was trying to pull one over on me. So it wouldn't be the first time that Shay was trying to play a prank on me when he told me what he wanted me to speak about today. He called me and said, Joel, I want you to speak about humility. (laughs) And I said, I think you got the wrong guy. That's not really my area of expertise. And he said, no, no, I, I want you to speak on humility. And then I thought, Gosh, oftentimes when I study for something or want to share a message, it kind of forces you to look in the mirror and go like, am I living this thing out? And with that in mind, I I asked Shay, I said, did my wife put you up to this? And he said, no. He said, I want you to talk about humility. I want you to talk about the humility of Christ. And he wasn't kidding. And here we are. I just want to share just a few minutes with you about the humility of Christ. Now, when you talk about humility, it can be very frustrating at times because who needs to hear a message about humility the most? Proud people do. And who also is least likely to receive this for themselves? Who's most likely to think that this message is for somebody else? Proud people are. And so it can be frustrating to try to talk, to talk about humility to a group of proud people who think that they don't need to hear anything about humility. So before we get started, I just want to throw a crazy idea out at you. I want you to consider this. Consider this. Maybe it's not true, but maybe it is. You need to hear this. Like you're proud, You're not always full of humility. I know that this is a crazy idea. Maybe I'm missing the mark. But just consider this idea that you are proud and need to repent of that and you need to grow in the area of humility. If you're proud and you know it, well, listen up and let God's words sing into your life. And if you think you have the pride thing figured out and you're humble, well, then prove it. And listen and let God's words sing into your life. Let me, let me start off by just asking you just a series of questions. What evil in the world do you hate the most? When you think about everything that's evil in the world, what bothers you at a deep level? Like when you see it, you just get sick. You just can't even handle it. What evil in the world do you hate the most? Take a second and think about that. What would be your answer to that? There's a lot of evil to choose from. What evil do you hate the most? Let me ask a series of follow-up questions to that. When you consider God, when you consider everything that's written in the Bible about God, when you consider his character, the stories about him and who he is, what evil do you think God hates the most? What do you think bothers him at a deep level when he sees it, it makes him sick? Like what evil, what sin do you think God hates the most? You see, when I read the Bible and I consider the character of God, when I, when I read this and, and, and read What God says over and over again, the sin that I believe that God hates the most, I think is pride, and it's sobering, frankly, to think about the fact that the sin that I struggle with the most is the one that God hates the most. Let me just give you a couple of verses just quickly. Proverbs 16.5 said that the Lord detests the proud of heart. Proverbs 6 lists off seven different things that God hates. And the first one is haughty eyes, which is the lens through which prideful people see the world. In Proverbs 18, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. In Psalm 101, God says, I will not tolerate the proud of heart. I won't even tolerate it. And then you fast forward to the New Testament in James, it says that God opposes the proud. God doesn't ignore the proud. He doesn't overlook the proud. He doesn't care less about proud people. He opposes the proud. Like he is against proud people. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, writes this about pride. He says, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity and anger and greed and drunkenness and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. And and listen to this. He writes, pride, it is the complete anti-God state of mind. You see, those of you who are familiar with The Bible, you know, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. And the Old Testament is the story of the world before Jesus Christ comes to earth. It's it's pre-Christmas, right? And the Old Testament is 39 books, stories of people that are consumed with pride. From Adam to Abraham to Moses to David and everybody else. They're just consumed with pride. They, they, They don't want God to lead them. They want to be in charge. They don't to follow God. They want to do what they want to do. That's the story of the Old Testament. It's like watching lemmings fall off of a cliff one after the other. God constantly reminding them, humble yourselves. Be humble and follow me. Follow me and it will go well with you. I will heal your land. And they cannot figure it out. All those people I just mentioned, they have these moments of brilliance. They're the Bible heroes that we talk about in Sunday school after all. But if you look at all of their lives, all of their lives, the worst moment in their life was rooted in pride. And so you see the 39 books of the Old Testament is, it's a long story about people who are really prideful and will not humble themselves before God. God constantly reminding them, be humble. I will heal your land. And they won't listen to him. So finally, God says, you know what? If you're not gonna listen to me, I'm gonna show you what I mean. I'm gonna give you an example of humility that you can actually see and have a chance to follow. And he sends Jesus. He sends his son, Jesus, to be the living, breathing example of humility. Jesus is the king of kings. He was at creation. He was at creation when the world was created and the king of heaven leaves heaven and takes on flesh, God sends Jesus to say, hey, this is what it looks like to be humble. <laughs> and Jesus is, you know, born in the manger. You know all these things about Jesus. He grows up. And when he, when he grows up, people ask him, they go, hey, why did you come here? And he goes, I didn't come so that you would serve me. I came to serve you and give my life as a ransom for many. You see, the king did not come down to be a dictator, making people serve him. He came to serve us. He came to win us. He came to save us. It wasn't in his best interest. It was in our best interest. And God sends Jesus as this incredible example of humility. God leaving heaven, taking on flesh to be like us for us. (laughs) The humility, it's indescribable. As I think about talking about the humility of Jesus, I think there are no words. Everything I could say right now, it, it feels grossly insufficient when you try to describe the humility of Jesus Christ. It's hard for me to do that. But Paul, in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, he took a stab at it. He took a stab at trying to describe the character and the humility of God, of Jesus. And I just want to read you six verses right now from Philippians chapter two, starting in verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, On a cross. Those are my favorite six verses in all of the Bible. They're also my least favorite six verses in all of the Bible because they're mean and they expose me. They don't let me stay where I'm at. Like it shows me this standard of humility that I want to get to, but it also reveals how short I am. Don't do anything. Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, don't look to my own interests, look to the interests of others. From time to time, listen, I have a moment of brilliance when I consider the interests of others, but it's usually after I've taken care of my own interests. You know, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I'm trying to embody Christ, I'm trying to have his character. This passage describes his humility and it it exposes me and shows me how short I am of this standard of humility. It, it, it showcases to me, it's like a mirror, how prideful I can be. And that that part, who, who, he's in very nature God, but he takes on human likeness, like us. He, he's found in appearance as a man like us. So the king, he leaves heaven and comes down and he's a baby like us and he teethes like us. And he learns to walk like us. And he gets made fun of in junior high when he's going through puberty like us. And he has friends that desert him like us. And he has friends that die like us. And he buries his father like us. And he he takes on he's tempted in every way just like us. He has the full human experience without ever forsaking one ounce of his deity. He takes on this human form in the humility like us. He's found in appearance as a man like us. Not for him to win us and to serve us and to save us. He didn't do it for his own interests. He didn't do it out of selfish ambition. He did it for the interests of others. He did it for us. He did all of that for us. The humility in this. I mean, the humility in leaving heaven to do that for us. He died for us. He did that for us. If that doesn't make you say, God, I love you, then I don't think you're thinking about it hard enough. I don't know that you get what he did. That just makes me want to go, God, I love you. You know, Shay talked at the beginning of the series this series called, I love you. And he said at the beginning, you know, this isn't really a series about how God says, I love you to us, although he does. This is a series about us being awakened to the character and the nature of God. And, and when we realize more about him, we go, God, I love you. God, I love you. And, and when I look at the humility of God, the humility of Jesus in this, I just think the natural response is to go, God, I love you. You and I both know, though, that the words, I love you, they're heavy words, and they carry a lot of weight. When that boyfriend or girlfriend first said, I love you, to you for the first time, do you remember that moment when chills (laughs) went through your whole body? Many of us have had that experience, and it's very memorable because the words, I love you, are heavy. But would you agree with me that as we mature in our lives that the actions behind the words I love you carry a little bit more weight. Is that fair to say that as we get a little bit older and as we hear I love you a lot, that the actions and the behavior behind I love you, it carries a lot of weight. So if if you in this moment are going, God, I love you. Thank you for your faithfulness, your truth, your, your humility. Let me just take this minute to remind you that the actions, the behavior that changes because you say I love you, that that carries a lot of weight. To prove my point, you know, I used to be able to sweep my wife off of her feet by just whispering, I love you. Now, do you want to know how I sweep my wife off her feet? I sweep, or I vacuum, or I unload the dishwasher, or I change a diaper. All of a sudden, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've realized that my actions behind my words, they carry a little bit more weight. And so you and I, maybe let's just take a few minutes as we close this message to look at the example of humility that Jesus Christ gave to us. And we say first, God, I love you. Thank you for showing me what it's like. But then let's just have a conversation briefly about some of the actions, some of the behavior that could follow these words that we're saying to God. You know, Paul wrote it like this. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Don't look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. I've been reading out of the NIV translation of the Bible. Not sure what yours says. Maybe it says to count others more significant than yourselves. That's the ESV version of the Bible. Maybe it says be humble, thinking of others as better than you. That's the NLT version of the Bible. I don't know what version of the Bible you read, but I took the liberty. I'm not sure if this is biblical to do this, but I took the liberty to translate these verses that Paul wrote about Jesus into the JTIV, which is the Joel Trainer International Version, and just try to apply some of what Paul's saying to our lives as we live them today. What does Paul mean? How does this actually flesh itself out in our lives? You can look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and here's one way to translate it. Be the first person to say sorry. Be the first person to say sorry. Some of you need to hear that. You're stuck in a stalemate. Maybe it's been a couple of hours since last night. Maybe it's been a couple of weeks. Maybe it's been a couple of years. Somebody needs to hear this. Be the first person to say sorry. Be the first person to come to the middle. Be the first person to offer An apology. And I I know, I know, I get it. You're right. They're wrong. We get it. We get it. Do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to have the humility of Christ? Be the first person that comes to the middle and says, I'm sorry. That is humility. That is Christ like. Here's another translation of that verse Be open to feedback. Not very many of us are naturally great at receiving feedback, especially from people that we love the most. But how could we possibly look out for the interests of others if we never listen to the interests of others? How, how could we do that? How could we live this verse out if we never let anybody explain to us what their interests are? I, I don't know about you, but from time to time... I, I don't receive feedback very well, mostly from the people that I love the most, my wife. And, and I have to go to her and say, listen, Morgan, I'm sorry about the way that I responded to that last time and I wanna open the door to that again. I, I actually want to know what your interests are. I, I do wanna know how I can serve you. I do wanna know, Morgan, is there any way that I can, I can behave differently that would bless and encourage your life? That's humility. I don't do that all the time. But when I read these verses, when I consider the humility of Christ, when I go, and this is the kind of person that I want to be, it looks like me being open to feedback and wanting to hear more about what the interests of others actually are. Here's another one. It's, it's, it's specific to a certain group of people, but here's another translation of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You're a dad now. Or... You're a mom now. Listen, when I was single, all I thought about was me, my interests. I was full of selfish ambition. And then when I got married, I thought, well, perfect. Now I've got two people to think about me. (laughs) And then we had kids and they didn't really come out of the womb thinking about me. It It was a harsh reality. And we've been cleaning our house ever since, perpetually, forever. For those of you that have toddlers, you know what I'm talking about. This says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider the interests of others above your own. Somebody needs to hear this. I need to hear this often. You're a dad now. You're a mom now. Some of the stuff that you used to do, it either needs to be paused or it needs to be stopped because it's not in the interest of others. The way you spend your time or your money the things that you do, some of it needs to be paused or stopped because it's not in the interest of others. It's, it's rooted in a, in a selfish ambition. And Paul's saying, listen, that's not how Jesus was. And, and, and to, for, listen, as an adult, as a father or a mother, to radically change your life for the benefit of somebody else, that is humility. That is, that is Christ-like Humility to consider the interests of others above your own. I can think of some times when someone has said this to me and it's painful and it stings and it's hard to even imagine doing some of the things that I knew God wanted me to do, but it's worth it because it's like Christ, that's what humility is. Here's the last one. Never say, well, that's just who I am. Never never say that when... When I got married to Morgan, we had somebody who was doing some of our pre-marriage counseling talk to us about Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And that's what they said. They said, never say to one another, well, that's just who I am. And on the day that we were married, we vowed to one another that we would never say to one another, well, that's just who I am. I'm proud to report that seven and a half years in, I haven't said it, I've thought it. I've had the thought, but it hasn't come out of my mouth yet. And and you might be wondering, you know, why did you make that a part of your vows? Why, Why did you make the commitment to never say, well, that's just who I am? The reason that we did that is because that's not the mindset of Christ Jesus. It's not the mindset of Christ Jesus. Think about this. Aren't you glad that Jesus never said, well, that's just who I am? Do you, do, you, do you know who he is? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's creator God. He's the son of God. He's, he's the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. He is deity. He is God. And Jesus Christ did not come to earth and go, does anybody know who I am? He came and said, I will willingly abandon who I am for you. I will shed who I am. I will will come humbly before you. I will willingly abandon who I am for you. I'm the king, but I will let you call me a criminal and I will go to the cross for you. I'm not gonna come here and say, I'm the king. I'm gonna come here and say, I am the servant for you. This is the humility of Jesus. This is the humility of Jesus. And he did it all with no guarantee that we would love him back. No guarantee that we would love him back. He came and willingly abandoned who he was for us. He died for us. He rose for us. He went to heaven and now he waits for us. And here's the great news. Here's the greatest news of all is that I'm not going to heaven because of my humility. I'm going to heaven because of his. My my relationship with God does not depend on what I do for God. It's completely dependent on what God did for me. I'm not going to heaven because of my humility. I'm going to heaven because Jesus was humble and he left heaven... (laughs) He, he put down his crown and he put on a diaper and he took on flesh and he died for me. And that makes me go, God, I love you. In the truest act of humility in the history of mankind, God left heaven and took on flesh. He took on flesh, not for himself, but for us. He wasn't looking after his own interests. He was looking after ours. (laughs) And that makes me say, God, I love you. That is unbelievable humility. Unbelievable. Grumla, I hope that you are encouraged and inspired to say, God, I love you and thank you. And I hope that you will go and that you will live like Christ. Thanks for letting me be here with you. We'll see you soon.